Welcome to Bedtime History. Hello, this is Breck. Guess what, parents? Bedtime History is now available on Story Button. Story Button is the easiest way to listen to our show without using screen devices like your phone or a tablet. Story Button is like a radio that's built for easy listening to your favorite kids' podcasts like ours. And the best part is there's no subscriptions or fees to access the content. This week, save $10 and get free shipping when you go to storybutton.com forward slash bedtime history. That's storybutton.com forward slash bedtime history. Annie Smith Peck had a pretty normal childhood. I know that's not an exciting way to start a story, but it's true. Born right in the middle of the 19th century, her Rhode Island family traced its roots to the founder of the state. She went to school, then studied to become a teacher. Her family was a little more open-minded than most. Annie's father took her to see a woman's rights activist speak once, but they still expected Annie to marry, start a family, and live the respectable life of a well-off 19th century woman from an old family. Annie had other ideas. The Firebrand's feminist speaker she'd seen as a child had convinced her that she could do other things than her family expected. Her old high school teacher, who refused to give Annie a permanent job, also hinted that teaching wasn't a big enough goal for her. But Annie wasn't sure what those bigger goals should be. The sheltered life she led with her family in Rhode Island didn't help her expand her vision. So she drifted around trying things out. A friend had moved west to Illinois after high school and gotten a job teaching, and Annie decided to try her luck in the Midwest. She moved to Michigan to teach. Once in Michigan, it became clear to those around her that Annie was capable of more than just teaching. She became friends with a few professors at the nearby University of Michigan, who recognized her curiosity and adventurous spirit. Annie had tried to gain admission to the university in Rhode Island, the school where her father and brothers had gone, but they had refused her. They didn't take female students at the time. The University of Michigan did, though. It was one of the first in the nation to do so, and Annie's new friends made sure she got the chance to enroll. She was in her 20s by the time she started college, much older than most of her classmates, but she immediately felt that she belonged. She studied hard, made many new friends, and expanded her mind and her possibilities. And when she graduated at 27, Annie was just getting started on her adventures. After teaching in colleges for a few years, Annie earned enough money to begin her travels, and she never really stopped. Over the next several years, Annie would go back and forth between Europe and the U.S. She went to a famous archaeological school in Greece took photos, hiked, and made lifelong friends. Between trips, she kept teaching and also started giving lectures about Greek archaeology and history, using photos and experiences from her travels. It was during one of these trips to Europe that Annie discovered the passion that would dominate the rest of her life, mountain climbing. She scaled mountains all over Europe and the United States, from one of California's highest mountains, Mount Shasta, to the Alps in Europe. She climbed the Matterhorn, a famous steep and treacherous peak in the Swiss Alps, in 1895, becoming the first woman to do so. Even though she wasn't the first woman to climb it, her accomplishments did attract some attention, 
though not so much for the climbing part. People were just aghast that she was climbing in pants. Annie just thought this was the sensible thing to wear when climbing mountains, but some people thought she should still be wearing a skirt. By the time she climbed Matterhorn, Annie was 45 years old, but she was just getting started on her climbing career. Between mountains, she spent all her time planning and raising money for the next expedition. She lectured, wrote articles, and flat out asked her friends and acquaintances for donations. She didn't feel at home unless she was traveling and climbing. She turned her sights southward and traveled to Mexico, where she became the first woman to climb two highest peaks in the country, Pico de Orizaba and Popocatepetl, both over 18,000 feet. For a brief time, she held the world record for the highest peak climbed by a woman, though another climber, Fanny Bullock Workman, soon bested her on a climb in the Himalayan mountains. But Annie decided that she wanted to climb even bigger mountains, summits that no one, male or female, had ever climbed before. She researched peaks in South America, looking for one that might be the highest on the continent. After much research and a few more climbs, she decided Huascaran, a mountain in the Peruvian Andes, would be her target. It would take all her grit and perseverance to get there. Planning a climbing expedition is no simple matter. Climbing was and is dangerous. Many mountains, especially the higher ones, have snow all year. Glaciers cut around them, with snow camouflaging deep crevices. There were constant dangers of avalanches and falling rocks. Freezing temperatures bit at you night and day, with only your clothes, tent, and sleeping bag, along with occasional fires, to warm you up. Frostbite could set in quickly if you weren't careful. Sun glaring off the snow could burn your skin. You need the right gear and clothing. You need rope to tie yourself to the other climbers, so if one person slipped, they wouldn't go sliding down the side of the mountain. Of course, this could work the other way around, too. One person slipping in the wrong place could pull everyone with them. Ice axes helped climbers cling to steep ascents or even cut stairs in the ice. Many climbers, including Annie, also wanted to contribute to science, so they'd bring tools for measuring the height or altitude that they reached. Though shocking at the time, Annie considered pants a necessity. Many women did climb in long skirts, but she considered them cumbersome and did away with them. You needed four pairs of thick wool socks under boots, four sizes too big, along with several pairs of wool, long underwear, which you might wear all at once. Hats, gloves, sunglasses, camp stoves, blankets, the list goes on. But the most important item to pack, according to Annie, it was chocolate. Even experienced hikers like Annie needed guides or companions to help them on the mountain. It's definitely not a solo sport. Good guides, professional mountain climbers who had the equipment and expertise to make sure you were safe as possible, were expensive and hard to find. You'd also need to pay porters to help carry your equipment and find donkeys or mules to carry larger bundles. Annie struggled to raise the money she'd need to buy equipment and hire guides to climb Horiskaran. She tried three times, crossing the ocean on steamers and trekking for days each time to reach the mountain. The guides and porters she found were often inexperienced and unreliable. 
and many of them insisted on turning back when the going got tough. But after years of failed attempts, Annie and two Swiss guides finally made it to the peak in 1908. She was 58 years old. It wasn't an easy expedition. The group started on their first attempt in early August of 1908, but had to return when one of the guides got sick and snowstorms lashed their campsite. The three tried again in late August and finally made it to the summit. They took photos and measurements of the altitude. Annie's measurements showed that she had reached a greater height than any other woman before her. But the victory was not without its consequences. One guide developed serious frostbite. When she got back to the U.S., Annie used her connections to help raise money for him, since he couldn't work as a mountain climbing guide anymore. But more challenges were in store. Annie's old rival, Fanny Bullock Workman, claimed that one of her climbs in the Himalayas was higher. She even hired engineers with better instruments to measure Horuskaran. Unfortunately for Annie, this showed the summit wasn't quite as high as she had measured, so Workman did hold the world record for the highest altitude climb for a woman. Never willing to admit defeat so easily, Annie would remind a reporter later that she had still climbed higher than any man in America. Even if her pride was a little wounded, Annie wasn't deterred. She wanted to keep climbing. She had made a specialty of climbing peaks in South America and wanted to keep exploring to see if she could find the next highest mountain on the continent. Her next target, Corapuna, another peak in Peru that had never been climbed before. This time, her competition wasn't just the brutal conditions of the mountain itself. Hiram Bingham, a young scholar from Yale, also wanted to be the first to climb Corapuna. He didn't think too highly of Annie, or any woman who didn't want to fill traditional roles. The race was on, and Annie meant to win it. The two climbers planned their expeditions for the summer of 1911. Annie left a week earlier, but Bingham caught up with her, and for a while they were even on the same ship. Talk about awkward. Bingham wouldn't even talk to her, but described her as a terrible bore. A few weeks into the journey through Peru, she received surprising news. Bingham had decided not to climb until October. He had other work he had to do in Peru for his university, though he did hope Annie would fail in her attempt so he could still beat her. But Annie didn't fail. This time she had a reliable, committed team. She encouraged them when they were afraid to go on, saying no one had to climb all the way to the top except her and she would give them a bonus if they stuck with her. But they did reach the peak. She measured the height and realized it was almost certainly lower than Horuskaran, but she was still satisfied. Annie planted the flag of a Votes for Women flag on the peak, and her companions planted a Peruvian flag. Annie loved Peru and South America. The people there were always willing to help with food or a place to sleep when she passed through on one of her expeditions. After Corapuna, she wrote a book describing her climbs and the people there, and became known as an expert on the region. The presidents of Chile and Peru honored her with awards and medals, and the Lima Geographical Society in Peru named the Huascaran Peak she had summited Cumbre on Apec. Anna never wanted people to think of her as a woman climber. She wanted to be recognized as one of the best climbers, male or female, period but she knew her climb stood for something more 
because she was a woman. Maybe that's why once she found her place on the mountain, she never stopped climbing. She climbed Korapuna when she was 60 years old and climbed her last mountain at 82 years old. She took an airplane tour of South America at 79, then wrote another book about the continent. And she fought tirelessly to get women the right to vote. Even though no one in her life expected her to do great things, and some outright discouraged her, Annie kept aiming her sights higher. She found what she was meant to do, and even when people thought she was too old or discriminated her for her gender, she kept going. She climbed higher and higher until she stood above the clouds, gazing out over deserts, mountain peaks, and distant oceans, and saw farther than any of them. We hope you enjoyed this episode about Annie Smith Peck. Be sure to tune in next Monday for a new episode.